Would you open God's precious holy word to Luke chapter 21 and we've come to verse 8. And we're going to spend our time this morning here in that verse. Christ has left the temple for the final time. His invitations are over. His encounters with the religious leadership, all of those things are done. Now it's Wednesday, he'll be crucified on Friday. So it's time for quality instruction for his disciples. Let's, let's look back. This whole thing, you know we started in the Gospel of Luke and in uh, 2016. And there's one thing that I've told you many times, which is that Christ is teaching the people all the way through the Gospel of Luke, as in the other Gospels as well. The difference between the first and second comings I've, we've seen many times in the scriptures how the Jews had uh, drifted into error. To them, the Messiah was a political and military figure. They had totally ignored, as I've said to you many times, they have totally ignored all of the prophecies in the Old Testament with regard to the first coming of Christ, the suffering servant, the one who is bruised and who is, according to Daniel, he's murdered, mistreated. Well, they just glossed right over that and had emphasized how special they were in the world, how God owed them something because of their self-righteousness, and how the Messiah had to deliver them from the yoke of the Romans, the Gentile power. Much of what they believed is actually biblical, except they left out a big part of it. Namely, that God saves us by His grace and not by our works. That the Christ of God would come the first time to offer himself as a sacrifice for our sin and come again gloriously to rule and to reign. And they were looking for that second coming, having ignored the Christ of the first coming and had centered the religion upon themselves rather than God. We have seen how in, in the last two or three chapters, Christ had really accelerated his condemnation of their religious system. Now, this is God in the flesh walking with these people. Having condemned them, utterly he's through. He's exhausted. He walks out. Now, he's made it 
to a place at the Mount of Olives and he sits down on a, a stone, sits down there in the Mount of Olives. But as they left the temple, Christ having just condemned the religious system and all that was represented by the massive temple and all the buildings and stuff, the rituals are going on inside. As they passed the wall on the outside, the magnificent wall that glittered in the sunlight, highly polished and on the eastern side gilded with gold. The statement is made from the disciples, how wonderful this building is. Look at how beautiful this temple is. A great place. Maybe trying, I don't know, maybe trying to get Jesus to calm down with regard to the religious system known as Judaism. And Christ would just say to them, do you see this massive structure? Not one stone will be left upon another. This place is destined for ruin and desolation. They make their way a little further and Christ sits down and they ask him privately, the twelve, when will these things take place? And we, we combine some of Luke with Matthew 24 What are we supposed to look for? What will be the signs that will tell us these things are about to take place? What will be the sign of your coming? In, if you take the synoptic gospel accounts and put them together, you can begin to see that, or you can see that the disciples are beginning to get the picture. Christ comes the first time. He's been telling them for some time he was going to be crucified. They're going to deliver him over and he's going to die. Now, it seems that it's beginning to sink in a little bit, though it won't be complete until after the resurrection, then the ascension. But before, those, before the ascension, those 40 days with Christ and his teaching them, and yet still they ask him in the book of Acts, well, now are you going to restore the kingdom? He'd been preaching and teaching the kingdom, but he had been teaching and preaching to them of a spiritual kingdom that has to come before the physical kingdom. So what are the signs? And now Christ himself addresses a, a pinacular, a, a, a fundamental, tremendous doctrine of the Christian faith. Namely, the second coming of Christ. If you read between the lines, what in all of the synoptic gospels, Christ essentially is saying, don't, don't be in a big hurry. They're thinking as it develops, even in the book of Acts, you get this idea. Early, early book of Acts, early part of the book of Acts, their thinking would be that he would, okay, he's going to die, he's got to do that. He'll be resurrected, got to do that, going to Going to ascend to heaven, got to do that, but he's going to come right back and establish the kingdom. Well, that's not going to be the way it's going to be. And Christ reveals the plan of God for the rest of the Olivet Discourse. Luke's account is somewhat a summary of, of this uh, discourse of Christ.
regarding His second coming. Here is the first address, the first way, the first time, the, 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 the introduction to how Christ is going to teach them. So, I want us to extract five things from the introduction that Christ gives. Let me read the whole verse 8 here. And He said, okay, they had just asked the question. What's going to happen? What are the signs? He said, be alert with discernment. The Greek word is, 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 is very clear. Maybe yours says take heed or, or something like that. But it means, the, the, the word here, blepte, uh, uh, the, the Greek word means observe with discernment. Understand this. Think. Think about this. All right. So be alert with discernment. Lest you be deceived and wonder. For many will come in my name saying, I am he. And the time is drawn near. Do not pursue the journey after them. Don't listen to them. That becomes more focused and clear uh, in the rest of uh, of the Olivet Discourse, but we're going to just focus here on, uh, on, on his introductory statement. Number one, be alert with a discerning observation. Here is how Christians grow in discernment. Read the Bible and pray. That's how you grow in discernment. The Holy Spirit of God convicts us greatly that the Word of God is absolute truth and that anything that opposes the Word of God is a lie. So as we go through life, especially in these last days, at least what appear to me to be the last days, all kinds of red flags are shooting up here and there. That's not right. That's a lie. This is not the biblical way. We see it everywhere. How can we know unless we delve deeply into the Word of God? Regular Bible study and then prayer. Studying the Bible and praying. And then coming together in a time like this where we can worship together and, and draw upon one another's wisdom and experiences and learn from teachings that other people give us. And in class time, exchange ideas that we may come to a crystal clear knowledge of what is being taught to us in the Word of God. So, he says here, be alert with discernment. For the remainder of Luke, let me, just, let me just stay with Luke here and what he says about the Olivet Discourse. He says, he, in general summary, he says three things. And, and following this, what he says to his disciples is that God has a will, a plan, and a purpose for the nations or the Gentiles. And God's going to work that plan and that purpose according to His will. 
And so the times of the nations are going to go on and, and fulfill what God has purposed for them. We see, for example, Christ talks about uh, un until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So there's a, uh, the times of the nations, and nations are always changing their boundaries and always, you know, the times, they're working out God's plan and purpose. But there comes a time when it's fulfilled. It is ultimately and finally fulfilled, of course, in the Antichrist, Battle of Armageddon, and then right after that, the judgment of the nations, Matthew 25. But Luke, just in a summary fashion, talks about God's plan for the Gentiles. Now, you can take that subject, and you can go not only to the New Testament, but you can go to the Old Testament as well. And you can read about what God's Word says regarding the Gentiles. You can start with the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, for example. Nebuchadnezzar has this dream of this uh, image, uh, uh, the image of a man, but it was so overwhelming to him he couldn't remember what he dreamed. He had to call Daniel in. You know the story. And he said, here's what you dreamed. You saw a mighty image of a man. He had a head of gold, and he had... Uh, he had, had shoulders of, of silver, and then he had, uh, had uh, a, a breast, a belly of uh, brass. And then he had legs of iron, and then he had feet, iron and clay, mixed in together with one another. And Daniel then begins to give him the interpretation of the dream. You, O Nebuchadnezzar, are the head of gold. That's Babylon. And then he goes on from there the Gentile world rulers, until he gets down to those feet, past the iron, which is the Roman Empire, into those feet, which is the time of the nations, where nations struggle with one another. And Christ even talks about that nation will rise against nation. So, there's God's plan for the Gentiles. And you can read other detailed accounts about specific things regarding the times of the nations in other Old Testament prophecies. Of course, you can read the book of the Revelation. You can extract some things from First and Second Thessalonians and from, from First and Second Timothy, along with the Olivet Discourse. You can really, if you just say, okay, I'm going to write down what the Bible says, you can get a pretty good idea of how history is going to sweep across time and we all know that it's going to end in a time of the nations after the collapse of the Roman Empire, according to Daniel. Well, that's the time we're in, so we know we have to be in those last times. One can draw a blueprint of the times of the Gentiles. Then there's the same thing he talks about, is the time of the church. This, this bride of Christ, this special elect of God... And what this means and how it, how it ends for Christians before the close of, of the time of the church and how we must always understand that at any moment in time we are subject to arrest and mistreatment just because we're Christians. Time of the church time of the church. So then, God has a plan 
a will, a purpose for the church. The Gentiles in general, the nations in general, the church, and then finally for Israel. And that's the last part of what Luke talks about. And he, in, in veiled reference, he talks about things that are mentioned in, uh, in the Old Testament. You can take the old, both Testaments and you can see what God's blueprint is for the nation of Israel. As you can for the church and as you can for the Gentiles. It just takes thoughtful Bible study. In this case, it would be a, it would be a doctrine specific or subject specific study. And we live in such a day, I, uh, I left my iPhone over there, I don't need it. Um, through all the years of 40 plus years of building up a library, I had over 4,000 volumes of books. In the somewhat recent past, the offices were, were refurbished here, the office suite. And I had all my books boxed up. I had them in two different rooms. All these shelves, had those shelves moved out of the way. I'll tell you why. I have more of a library on my iPhone than I did. Boy, I could have saved a lot of money if they'd had iPhones back then. I could have built a house. <laughs> books are expensive. Those things are expensive and a lot of them are free now. So I have these three services, you know, I have, I have Bible Accordance, I have Logos, and I have Word Search. I paid a lot of money for that. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm still paying on it. They still extract money from my card every month. But I have, I have a plethora of, of references. I can go to BibleHub.com and I have so many references. Here's my point. We live in a day where a person can just take his phone if he has data service. And on that phone, he can study into a depth of research that some of the greatest scholars in recent past history in the church couldn't have done. If you learn how to use this particular website that I just mentioned, <laughs> in, in two weeks you can be almost to where four years of biblical languages would have taken you. Well, not quite, but it's close. And if nothing else, you would know how to call up another reference to get you clarity on a particular passage of Scripture as it was given to us originally. So we're, especially today, we're without excuse. If we can't, if we don't find ourselves alert with discernment, because we sure have the tools for Bible study today, unlike at any other time in history. Be alert with discernment. Number two, lest you be deceived and wonder. Within Christendom, and I carefully, I carefully substitute the term Christendom for church. Within Christendom, 
We have seen the rise and development of cults who may take a text out of context or they base their belief on a particular translation of the original text rather than the original text itself. And so they develop erroneous doctrinal persuasions regarding the second coming of Christ. Many people today are involved in some of those cults. Lest you be deceived and wonder. The word, planethete, the, the word, we get our word planet from that word. A planet to the observer in the old world would be a star that wasn't in the same place that it was in last night, like, unlike the other stars. So it was a wandering star, a planet. If you're anchored to the word and to the truth, the doctrines of, of the Christian faith, the, the doctrine of the second coming of Christ, these things are clear. If you study with intent and purpose and lay the foundation that the Bible, the Bible doesn't, the, the Bible never contradicts itself and it is always an absolute truth. And the answer to any question is always found. If you can't find it in a translation, you go back to the original text. It's always there. It's always there. Some people throw it up in your face about the Bible saying this or saying that. And, and you know, so, so you're saying, uh, so you're saying thus and so. And they always reference a biblical metaphor. Or a biblical illustration. Uh, the Bible is very clear when it says something is like unto this. It doesn't say it's that. It says this is the best way I can describe it. So understand that the Bible, the Holy Spirit of God knows what he's saying. He, he doesn't get confused <laughs> with the language. Don't be deceived. Take the Bible as absolute truth, start from there. Trust the Holy Spirit of God having been saved according to Ephesians. The Holy Spirit of God has been inserted, deposited into your life. We are, we are immersed. The great work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as Christians. Without the Spirit of God, you are none of His says Paul to the Romans. We trust the Spirit of God to strengthen our thoughts and to guide our thoughts and even to guide our path into the pathway of those whom we need to hear or share with or pray with or listen to when it comes to Bible study. Lest you be deceived and wonder Because, okay, now Christ here is saying, look guys, you're going to be in this for the long haul. It's going, to be, it's, it's going to be a while before I come again. Now, I want you to think about this. The development of the spiritual kingdom, the calling out of the church of the Lord Jesus in the time of the Gentiles, which of course, of course includes Jewish believers as well, but we all come into the church. What has to happen if you just think of it this will take a long time. 
what Christ outlines and then what He tells them to do in the Great Commission and then repeats it somewhat in the book of Acts in chapter 1, it's going to take a while. It's not going to be something that's going to be day after tomorrow or five years from now. It's going to take a long time, especially in an era where they didn't have worldwide communication and such transportation opportunities as we have now. So here's what he says. Many will come in my name. Okay. I, uh, I looked into this. Many will Okay, so we're, we're starting with the time that Jesus said this. Well, we're starting with the time after his resurrection. And uh, in the 18th century, there were two who came forward, uh, just quickly to read, uh, from 1736 to 1784, Anne Lee. She founded the Shakers. Her followers referred to her as mother, and their belief was that she was the female incarnation of Christ. In other words, she was the, fem she was the female Jesus. 18th century. There's another one here. 19th century, there were six that I have that were recorded in this particular history of the church. Um, Jones Very. His last name is Very. So if you put him in alphabetical order in a school class, he's Very Jones. He suffered a nervous, he was part of the transcendentalist movement, suffered a nervous breakdown, 1837, and then after that he claimed to, he claimed to be the second coming of Jesus. I like to go on all these. Uh, all. Hey, here's another thing. Why is it always an imitation to Jesus? Do you ever, help me out here. Have you ever heard anybody running around saying, I'm Buddha? <laughs> or I'm Muhammad? No, it's always Jesus. And Jesus said it with they will come in my name. Let me keep going. 20th century, there were 26 of them. Claiming to be the Re uh, Lou, Lou de Palenboer. He's, he's from the Netherlands. Who can, who can know what, how you say that? He claimed to be the resurrected body of Christ. Uh, Krishna Venta. He was the Christ uh, resurrected to bring an, a new faith as the resurrected Christ. Sun Myung Moon, you've all heard of that guy. Jim Jones. Okay. What was that? The 20th century? 21st century, there have already been five. One guy from the Philippines. Apollo Quibolbi, Restorationist Church, the Kingdom of Jesus Christ, the name above every name. He is the appointed Son of God. Alan John Miller delivers messages and seminars in various forms 
with his current partner, Mary Suzanne Luck, who identifies herself as the second coming of Mary Magdalene. You might want to get a ticket to that. That would be interesting. Um, so already five in the 21st century. Then the, he says, come in my name. And then he says, they're going to come and say, I am he. In other words, I am Messiah. Not just coming in the name of Jesus, but coming, coming upon the principle that that particular person claims to be Messiah. There have been, since the time of Christ, there have been 14 Jewish Messiah claimants. Oh, that's, that's silly, some of that stuff. There have been 35 Christian Messiah claimants. The real Messiah. Okay, let me go to the next one here. Come in my name, I am he, and saying the time is drawn near. Date setters. There have been 62 of those in recorded Christian history since the first one that was recorded in 500 A.D. Sextus Julius Africanus predicted Jesus would return in the year 500. Prediction was based on the dimensions of Noah's Ark. Okay. Um... I'm not going to throw all these. They're, they're really entertaining and, and yet pitiful. I remember when I was uh, in, in the 1980s at First Baptist Southside, I got a free book in the mail. 88 Reasons Jesus Will Come Back in 1988. 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Come Back in 1988. What's the guy's name? Camp or something. Some guy... Recently, just a few years ago, he said, Jesus is coming on this date. He has a lot of followers, and so they were braced. And that day passed. He said, mm, I got something wrong. He goes back, and he refigures. And so they're looking for another time close by. Here's the point. From many will come in my name, saying, I am he, the time is drawn near. Jesus is saying there's going to be a lot of deception a lot of wackos, a lot of crazy people. They're going to say that they're me, Jesus of Nazareth. They're going to say that they're Messiah. And they're going to come and they're going to set a date that my coming is on this particular time and it's just right under whatever. Here's how Jesus concludes it. Do not pursue the journey after them. Don't listen to it. Jesus will explain that when he comes again, you won't have to question it. There will be no doubt that it is God the Son coming down from heaven with his great army of saints and angels. There'll be no doubt 
when he establishes his kingdom on earth for a thousand years. There won't be any doubt about it. None will be able to doubt it. So Jesus at another time says, we saw it earlier in the verses, if somebody says he's here or he's, he's there, don't believe it. Do not pursue the journey after them. Let me give you one thing to end with. We did this in a seminar here at this church, I don't know, a year ago, a year and a half ago, when we studied Islam, 21st century Islam. And we addressed the eschatology of modern Islam, their doctrine of, their doctrine of the end of things. And the one we call the false prophet is their identification of Jesus, the prophet. So when they say, you know, we believe in Jesus, no, they don't. They see Jesus as a prophet, but they also see him. He comes again as a precursor to the revelation of the 12th Imam, who to us is the Antichrist. And he prepares the way by gathering all the Christians and all the Jews and says, you know what? A lot of people thought that I was the son of God and I died to save you. He said, he's, going to, he's supposed to say to everybody, well, that was all a mistake. You guys have been wrong for all this time. That's their Jesus. Great, strong delusion. Sometimes I've often wondered, you know, why are people so drawn in our country, in our nation especially, why are they so drawn to this thing? I guess it's a setup so that their Jesus will try to make the world think that he's our Jesus and he ain't. He's not our Jesus. Jesus says, do not pursue the journey after them. Now that's the introduction to his Olivet Discourse that we will study starting a couple of weeks from today. Second coming of Christ. A tremendous fundamental doctrine of the Christian faith. We're given a lot of clues in the Bible about things and I study, frankly, I, I study current events with a view to the second coming of Christ. I want to see him so bad. The things that we're suffering in these days, the great delusion, and the time when people call good evil and evil good, we were warned about these things. I, we're seeing all these things develop. In my view, Christ is coming soon. And in the last part of the revelation, after he's gathered his own to himself and on the outside in the lake of fire, he said, here's who I, who's out there. And he goes through this litany of people, of sinners, and he lists their sins. And so they were the cowardly, the whoremongers, the fornicators, the adulterers, the thieves, the covetous, the murderers. They are everybody who, who are condemned under the Ten Commandments who never came to Christ. They died lost. They died in their sin. On the outside are these 
whose names were not written in the book of life. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came into this world to save sinners. I want to see Him. I want to look upon His face. I long for His coming today. And so much time has gone since He taught this to His disciples on the Mount of Olives way back then. So much of it has been fulfilled in our very eyes, before our very eyes. The time is certainly later now than it was yesterday. If you're here today without Christ, I would plead with you to come to Christ. If God calls you into His salvation, you'll know it. In a moment we'll stand in the act of standing if you would come to Christ today. While it is called today, repent and be saved. For today is the day of salvation. You come and let me pray with you. In a moment when we stand up, you're here, you're already a Christian. God leads you to come and be a part of this church. You want to plant your Christian life here. Study with us and serve with us and fellowship with us. We'll take care of all the details of church membership if that's what God wants in your life. You come as well. Father God in heaven, bless this invitation. We place it before you. And trust that you'll use it, of course, according to your will and purpose and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Would you come as we sing?